Planning a trip to one of the great national parks? L.L. Bean went to the experts at the National Park Foundation to get the inside scoop on which parks are the best to visit in each season. Whether you're looking for outstanding scenery, smaller crowds, or unique activities, L.L. Bean, be an outsider. To check out the full list of recommendations, visit llbean.com explore. Welcome to The Final Four is Not on the Schedule. I'm your host, Eric, alongside with expert analyst Rod. Thanks for joining us on the best MSU basketball podcast featuring an in-depth recruiting, game matchup, and post-game analysis. We dive deep to give you the best tools to enjoy the Spartans and impress your friends and family. Well, hey, everybody. It's Eric alongside Rod again. And boy, the hits just keep coming, Rod, when it comes to these recruitments. I feel like, what, only a few weeks ago, there was... You know, one recruit for the 2023 class. And now suddenly, Mitch says, I guess, a full class. We're going to talk about Cone Carr, who's coming up here. He's the last one to commit today. Uh, but before that, I think we have some real exciting news. We've been working behind the scenes for quite a while. I hope people have noticed some changes. Regular listeners would notice some changes to the show. I think we've, um, for one thing, there's a lot more content. But we've also been putting together a lot of other features. And I don't know, you want to just start off, I guess, and going what changes have been to the shows? For the last since uh, spring, um, well, I, I think that uh, as as people have noticed, we've tried to do some different things in regard to the subject matter um, to get us through the off season. Fortunately for me, uh, we're going, we're getting closer to the season itself, um, so we don't have to strain quite as quite as much. But it's been good because, you know, we've had Grant Couch, we've had Jack Abling, and I, I, I thought those were both great, uh, great episodes to get insight from a couple of guys that have been around the, the, uh, the scene for a long time. In, in Jack's case, gosh, you know, 40 years, I think, maybe even longer than that, definitely at least 40. Um, so I, I thought that was really great. And then we did our, our what if episodes, which was fun for me as somebody who's kind of a historian of, of um, or at least int- I, I won't be too highfalutin, somebody who's interested in the history of Michigan State basketball, let's put it that way, um, so I don't get accused of having an ego problem. Um, but uh, but those are fun, too. Um, and so that's been, that's been something. And I think gradually we've tried, and, and I will admit to being more of the impediment in this regard to uh, but I think we're finally pretty close to where we want to be in terms of the um, technical elements around the show's production. So we'll call them production standards. Uh, hopefully it sounds a little better. Um, that's something we've been working on. And then the big thing is something that I, I think we're, we're ready to announce in this episode, which is the development of a The Final Four is Not on the Schedule website. And that's got a number of features, which uh, there's one in particular that I'm, I'm excited about, which I'll, I'll talk in a second about. But the, the basics are the URL is just kind of like our Twitter. It's uh, TFFINOTS.com, right? I've got that right. Yeah. So that's correct. It's yeah. the acronym. The Final Four is not on the schedule. The acronym uh, and .com. And that will get you to the site. And the site. 
is a nice basic site. You can, if, if you're not a subscriber to the podcast, you have eat, you know, every one of the newest episodes loads up on the front page of, of the site. So you can listen to us from there. Uh, we want you to subscribe, of course, but uh, you can listen to us on the front page of the website. And then there's a little bit, a very little bit of information, very, very little about the two of us and um, some <laughs> odds and ends of photos, et cetera. But I think the big thing from my perspective is that uh, we have an MSU basketball forum. So a bulletin board, a, a place where message board where uh, you can post and you can talk about Michigan State basketball. And that's something that I, I think is both natural outgrowth from the podcast. And it's also something that at least the particular kind of site I envision, I, I think there's a need for. Um, and, you know, I, the, the first point I should emphasize to people is the, the site, the, the forum is absolutely free. So we're not charging any subscription fees or anything like that. Um, there are free outlets where you can discuss Michigan State basketball, Twitter being the most obvious. Now, I am someone who is a frequent. The swamp. Yeah, well, that's what I'm going to get to. Exactly. I'm a frequent user of Twitter, and it's great for certain things. It's great for news dissemination primarily. Uh, really, really good. It's an invaluable tool for that. For discussion, it's horrendous. It's the absolute worst. You said a swamp. I think that's accurate. You know, it's terrible. So, because there's no, there's no real moderation. You know, it's a free for all. So you very quickly can get sucked into a steaming pile of garbage, and often discussions do get there pretty quickly. So that's not really a solution. And then on the other end of things, you have the pay sites. And I, I think very highly, you know, Spartan Mag, which is part of the Rivals Network, Jim Camperoni's site. I've been a member for a brief period of time. I was actually a paid contributor to that site a long time ago. Um, off and on, I've been around it for more than two decades. So I, I obviously think highly of it. And the other main site, uh, 24-7, I've never been a member, so I, I can't, and I'm not currently, so I can't speak as much to the quality of that site. But there are a couple of guys over there who were in the fairly recent past uh, contributors to Jim's site at Rivals. And I think they're younger guys, so they maybe have a little bit uh different kind of uh, resources maybe within the MSU programs, within the football and basketball program. So I'm sure that that site is bringing value to its subscribers as well. So th those places are really great um, for certain things. But one of the problems that you have is that they are, the model is, the business model is they are subscription sites. So you pay your $7.99, $9.99 a month, whatever it is to participate. But if you happen to be a subscriber who is also a flaming jackass, that can be a problem because the site operator has as a motivator, has as in their self-interest to keep you paying, to keep you as a member of the site. And that means as a site operator, I think you have to be very careful about when you use the hook on somebody 
when you check them, how you deal with them, because they are a paying customer. And again, I'm not saying any of this with the intention of denigrating the guys who operate those sites. In fact, it is their, uh, their living is running those sites. You know, that's how they make their living. So they have to be very careful about that stuff. This is not how I make my living. So I don't care about that. And what I would like to have, and, and I think at, at different times, the quality of discussion in those places kind of ebbs and flows. Uh, I would like a place to exist where you can have a very high caliber of discussion. And I don't want to get too highfalutin about this, but I just mean where you've got some people who really know the game, who really know things about the Michigan State program in particular, and can talk about things in a reasoned and productive way. And maybe most of all, who understand and keep in mind that this is this stuff is supposed to be fun. Part of the problem is, you know, we've seen it over the last two years, right? When there's not a Final Four or a Big Ten championship happening, you've got a lot of spoiled people out there and they, they tend to take it as life and death. And, and it becomes this slog to and unpleasant to talk about uh, something that's supposed that we all theoretically at least are supposed to be enjoying, right? Because that's why we do it. So I would like to keep that kind of environment on on this forum, and uh, and that's my intention. So I would I would hope that we won't have the weaknesses at the extreme ends, at least of either of those models, and that we can kind of chart a nice middle path. Um, I would encourage any of our listeners who are so inclined to hop on over to tffinots.com and register and start posting as much as you're inclined to. Um, we've already got some stuff up there currently to kind of hopefully stimulate some early activity. But as we get into the season, um, there'll be more and more of that, at least from, from me, you'll see more and more of that. So, I think it'll, I hope it'll be a lot of fun and uh, a good place to hang out talking Michigan State basketball. I guess the other couple of things I wanted to mention real quickly about it. Um, while it's the focus is supposed to be certainly on Michigan State basketball, I don't think either of us, or I think we both like football a great deal. I know I do, but I don't, I don't fancy myself as having necessarily the same level of knowledge as as i do when it comes right. to basketball so we don't aspire to be doing any covering or heavy heavy discussion of msu football but that said it's certainly a place where i can envision off-topic discussions going on which would include michigan state football it's just again that's not the focus of the site and then the other thing is in terms of functionality and if you go over and check it out you'll see this uh it's a it's a very modern kind of message board you can drop in embedded stuff from other sites. So tweets, YouTube uh, posts, uh, Instagram posts, anything like that. You just drop in the URL, post it, and it pops right up. Um, I thought that was, uh, that was important for us to have because that's, that's kind of become a, a standard sort of thing for better message boards to have. And uh, we wanted to make sure we had that. We do. 
So um, hopefully that will help facilitate better, um, better discussion as well. Yeah. And I, I think for me, it's, as a longtime listener to the show before I joined the show here in this year, for me, it's been part of building a community. And I think, and I think one of the things you, you have a trouble with sometimes as a podcaster is interacting with fans and having a way to sort of mingle and sort of understand what's going on. And absolutely, the nice thing about the forum is it's going to provide that opportunity for, for you to be part of the show, for you to be part of, part of discussions and to be part of, you know, to be part of the family. And I, I mean, I, I love to have a place where, you know, people swap tickets or all sorts of things you could imagine that people want to do, you know, within the Spartan community. And so I think, I think that's what it's going to be. It's going to be, I think a fun, great place. I think we've worked pretty hard to build this community with the show and also with the, what we're building with the website, uh, certainly with the forum, uh, you, we've got new channels. We've got a YouTube channel for those of you who like to listen on your YouTube, which a certain amount of people do. Uh, we have, um, we have Instagram account. We've obviously the very active, uh, Twitter account that's been open for quite a while. So, you know, as, and if you want, if you want to drop us a line, you certainly can go to the website. You can register there. You can also contact us through the website. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor of the show, there's opportunities there. There's all sorts of different things you can do and be part of this. And I think that's what we want to, we just want to try and bring all the people we can into this and to really have an opportunity to really get to know you and for you to know us better. It's a way for us to just, you know, again, be, build this Spartan community around basketball, what we love. We love Tom Izzo. We love the basketball team and we love talking about it. And, it, and to your point, it's uh, it is sports, right? It's something we can, you can live and die by and be excited by and be saddened with when things don't go the way you want. But ultimately it's, it's a, a diversion and escape sort of from other parts of life, right? That's what's great about sports. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's exactly it. I mean, obviously we take it seriously. We're sitting here doing a podcast about it, right? We're spending our time, you know, for neither one of us is this our profession, but you know, we're spending our time doing this. So obviously we take it seriously, but at the same time, I, I do not understand for the life of me letting something that's supposed to be a fun pastime depress you or anger you. And, and that's what I at times see too much of. And so I'd like to avoid that with our site. And, and again, it's, I think as you just uh, were alluding to, we, I think we both see this as a natural outgrowth of the podcast itself, you know, in helping to flesh, flesh that out. And as you say, some type of um, uh, community around something that's supposed to be enjoyable. I always look forward to shows dropping. I look forward to the analysis. I'm looking forward to being a part of that on the show itself, but um, to learn more and to, you know, it was my game day prep when I know, want to know what's going to happen during the game or who, to watch for on the other opposing team, what sort of you know changes were happening within the the Spartan team. I mean, this is the show I listen to to find out those details and get the strategy and you know what's going wrong. Yeah, oh, I mean, I could sort of visually think, oh, you know, it seems like we're we're some poor problems in defense, and then you know you look at the stats, like, well, it's because we're not defensively rebounding, right? That's a real big problem when you give me second possessions, and right. so those thing, those insights can help. They just enhance the game, your experience, your viewing experience, and you know maybe they don't make it less frustrating when they're not rebounding, but at least you understand and you have a better idea of what's going on. And you know, it's again, it's fun. It's a pastime. And, uh, and so the post game reactions were the same way. It was sort of like, did you see what I saw or, you know, what is, and so I think all those yep. things are what make the show great. And was what I'm so excited about for the next, this coming season. Um, 
and so I just, you know, we just want to bring, again, bring people into that, that community a little bit more and to give you more opportunities to interact with us. So to your point, you can go to tffinots.com, but we also, if you really are, you know, ambitious, you can put, type in the final four is not in the schedule.com. And that also will get you to our site. If that's easier for you to remember, you can also go to Michigan state basketball podcast.com. Uh, and that will also get to you to our site. So we own all the domains. So don't even bother trying to take a domain from us. <laughs> We, 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 got co- we covered we got our all, domain base. Uh, yeah. Some other things in there, obviously there's, you know, we have been doing all these enhancements. We've been building this community. And so, you know, if you want to be part of that, we'd love to have, bring you along and not only can you be a subscriber and to be part of the forum, but also, you know, we appreciate any financial support you want to throw away. Cause if you want us to keep doing what we're doing as far as the, um, the enhanced content and all these other things we have, you get a Patreon. That's probably the easiest way. Uh, most people are familiar with Patreon. You can go to patreon.com uh, slash tiffnots. You can obviously link straight through the website. We have four tiers of support for you. You can be a Skiles member where it's $5 a month, which, I mean, if you think about it, we put out during the season, we're putting out probably about 15 episodes a month, probably on average, uh, which is because you know, this pre and post game for all the games. And maybe not always 15, but that's like, you know, less than 50 cents an episode. It's if you want $5 a month, uh, you can also go to the uh, dream on green, which is a $10 a month, which also gives you some recognition during the show. And then at the $25 member level for Cleves, we're going to have some merchandise that we offer to people in addition to the other uh, previous benefits. And then finally at the Magic Johnson level for $50 a month, it gives you the opportunity with not only the merchandise, uh, but also uh, opportunity to sponsor a show and to get advertising. If you have a business or you want to reach out to Spartan fans and send some message so those are ways, obviously, if you want to, there's opportunities to go through PayPal or Venmo. You can do one-time gifts too to help us just support the show and to help keep things running. And, you know, like we said, we've been enhancing the audio and these sorts of things. So I encourage everyone to just get into all that. Yeah. And just to emphasize, though, that is that is not an indication or telegraphing of, you know, any eventual idea of moving behind a, a Patreon no, paywall with never. this podcast. This podcast is is going to stay free. The, the message board will stay free. All of that. This is all the Patreon stuff is just, if you're so inclined to additionally support um, what we're doing, that that's a mechanism for that. But that's, yeah, absolutely. that's really, this is that. our intent is to get every Spartan who's interested in Michigan say basketball, the opportunity to listen to this show and not have any restrictions on it. And so if you can help me make that apart by, if you don't want to financially support, but you share it with your friends, your other, your Spartan fans and family members, that's also just as important. Give even start leaving start five star reviews on uh, your the podcast player choice you use is obviously good. Uh, one other thing too with the Patreon, if we get enough Patreon members, we probably start looking into maybe doing an uh, AMA sessions where you just you know ask me anything, uh, which is probably Patreon members. But that's a little bit down the road if we have enough people. And you know who knows that might be some of the content we start putting on later anyway for the general public. All right, so that's enough back end stuff. So again, go to tffinots.com to check everything out. Go to the forum. But right now we have some big news. I feel like every every week it's there was you know when you're looking at trying to figure out what we're going to talk about during the summer, they've made the Spartan coaching staff has made it real simple. <laughs> it's like every week we have we have a new recruit dropping, and not like just some guy they found. Like these are really good good players. I we talked about this last time when we talked about Garrick Norman last last week, and you got a guy who's what top sixty or so. He's on his way up, just like Booker was. And now we got a guy, Cone Karn, who, you know, was went on anybody's radar, at least uh, in Michigan State a month ago, as far as I'm aware. And yet we've got a guy who is crazy athletic. I would just once, I'm not a real tall guy and I'm not a great leaper, 
I could jump and maybe touch the bob in the net. And that was, <laughs> it was the extent of my, <clears throat> Right. I would love to be able to jump like him just one day of my life where I could just from a state, just standing still and then jumping up and having yeah. your head above the rim. I can't even imagine what that's like. Yeah. So I, uh, there was some, uh, discussion out there on internet land today, I believe about somebody found an article from back in December. So long before Cohen Carr was even a gleam in Tom Izzo's eye, uh, about his vertical leap. And it claimed the article claimed that this was a sports illustrated piece. So it wasn't complete garbage claimed that he had a, a vertical leap of 45 inches. <laughs> now, to put that into perspective, in this year's draft combine, the top vertical leap registered, I believe, was, I think I've got this right, was 41.5 inches. Now, let's assume that there's a little bit of hyperbole attached to Cohen Carr's vertical. Because, boy, that, if there's anything that could get more distorted than official height listings of players on a basketball roster. It's somebody's vertical leap. Uh, but let's assume there's at least a little hyperbole. Uh, and maybe his leap is only 41, 42 inches. You're still talking about something that is spectacular by major college basketball player standards, by NBA standards. And all you have to do is hop over to YouTube and watch a couple of clips of this guy, and you'll see what we're talking about. I mean, his athleticism leaps out of the screen, no pun intended, um, in a way that very few guys do. We've been fortunate enough, if you've been a Michigan State fan for a long time, that we've had a handful of these guys. So if you go back, Jason Richardson, obviously, was that caliber athlete, one of the all-time best dunkers not just in Michigan State history, but I would say in basketball history, period. He's up there. Um, Shannon Brown certainly had very, very impressive vertical leap and was a great dunker. I think more recently, um, B.J. Dawson was a violent, aggressive dunker. And Miles Bridges had that in his game, too. So we've had a few. And, and notice the guys I'm not mentioning. I'm not talking about guys like you know, Mo Ager, um, Darrell Summers, Morris Peterson, they, a lot of guys who were outstanding athletes in their own right who don't quite get into that upper, upper tier. I would say Cohen Carr is a guy who will be in that upper, upper tier as a leaper and a dunker. He's that caliber of athlete. Um, so in, in talking about him, you mentioned, well, let's, let's, um, let's take a half step back. So you mentioned that much like Garrett Norman, who committed to MSU, what is it, a week yeah, ago, right. 10 days ago, something like that. Um, this is very similar. And they visited on the same weekend. They weren't there at the same time. Just as Norman was leaving, Carr was arriving. But uh, the scheduling of officials, I believe, came out the same day. And he was somebody that was not on the MSU radar even as recently as a month ago. Uh, behind the scenes, I think they were starting to, to look at him as opposed to Norman, where he was a guy they sort of discovered uh, on the uh, New York to LA AAU circuit while watching Xavier Booker. 
Colin Carr has been uh, playing EYBL ball all year uh, for Georgia Stars, a team obviously out of Georgia where he's where he's from. He plays prep school basketball in South Carolina, but he's a Georgia native. And so that why it took this long, I mean, Michigan State obviously doesn't tend to focus on kids from the Southeast. There have been a few, Chris Allen going way back, and more recently, Josh Langford come from the South, and they've recruited a few other guys who they didn't get. Uh, but by and large, it's not an area of emphasis, so that probably explains most of it. But um, obviously, they perceived that there was an opportunity to get involved with him, that there was interest, and there was, and you know, you had the announcement. They were bringing him in for an official, I think, on a Tuesday or a Wednesday. He was there in East Lansing by Saturday. After the visit was over on Sunday, they officially offered him. And here we are with a commitment. And again, we're not talking about a guy who's a reach. This is a kid who essentially is a consensus top 100 guy, maybe even bordering on a top 50. And that is incredibly impressive for Michigan State to come in late in the process again, doing it. They did it with Norman. Now they do it with, with Colin Carr, two kids who are out of region. And I'll come back to why that's an interesting element to all of this in a second, but who are out of region, they get involved. And in very short order, you have a commitment. And again, not from a kid who's a reach or a project, from a kid that lots of other high majors wanted, who's well-regarded, highly ranked, all of those things. It's pretty remarkable. Pretty remarkable. Um, I mentioned the out-of-region thing. You know, I can remember a time when there used to be a fairly standard complaint from people who don't know very much about Tom Izzo's recruiting patterns. Oh, he doesn't go national. Michigan State's a blue blood elite program. Why doesn't he recruit the way Duke does or the way Carolina does or Kentucky and go all over the country? And for a long, long time, Tom Izzo's focus was almost exclusively, not entirely, but mostly confined to the upper Midwest. Um, but that has changed. If you look at the last, say, three recruiting classes. Um, you know, this one that they've just assembled, you've got four kids, two are from the upper Midwest. You got Jeremy Pierce from suburban Chicago. You got Xavier Booker from Indianapolis, but now you have a guy from Dallas, Fort Worth and Norman and a kid from Atlanta and Carr, out of region, right? Go back to the year prior. Well, Trey Holloman's from Minneapolis. So that counts as upper Midwest, but, uh, and, and Carson Cooper, a late edition, is from Jackson. But you have Jackson Kohler, a kid who was from Utah, who was playing prep school ball in California, out of region. year prior to that, Mati Sissoko, Utah. A.J. Hogard, Pennsylvania. You could count Tyson Walker as a transfer in there, a kid from New York. So I don't ever, ever... There is a word that has gotten associated in certain dumb quarters with Tom Mezzo that by this stage of the game, to me, it's, it's like that old cliche of fingernails on a chalkboard. I hear it and I just start to lose my mind. And that word is stubborn. 
Tom Izzo is certainly somebody who has deep convictions about things relating to basketball. Uh, I would never deny that. But if by now you don't understand that he's a smart enough guy to actually grasp when he needs to change a certain aspect of what he's doing or reorient himself in certain ways, then you're not paying attention. And I can quote chapter and verse in a million different ways where that's happened. But one way it's clearly happened in recent years is in recruiting. And it's not just as, as people, you when people used to go down this road, what they were really talking about is, well, we're getting these kids from the upper Midwest who maybe are top 50 guys, but they're not superstars. They're not one and done. Well, he's still not emphasizing one and done's. But I believe that he's doing this out of necessity because the fact of the matter is, in recent years, and these things are cyclical to some extent, but in recent years, the upper Midwest hasn't been as good, hasn't been as deep as it often was in the past. So if you're not able to get the kind of guy you need, and Cohen Carr is a good example of this, the kind of guy he is, if you don't have that kind of player available to you in your normal recruiting turf and you need that player, you might need to expand your territory. And that's exactly what Tom Izzo's done in recent years. So the use of the word stubborn reveals you as a fucking moron. Can I, can I jump in for a second? And, and, and I would, and I would say Tom Izzo is stubborn in the sense that he has a certain level of excellence, a certain level of expectation he has for his team and performance that he refuses to accept less. Like I, I, you know, I think he is a, I, but that's not, but that's it, not stubborn, stubborn, stubborn. Yes, usually has absolutely. A absolutely. Because it, yes, it, it means I'm sticking to what I do regardless of whether it's right. working and or I, not. That's not the yeah. case. And, and I, and I, and when I use the word stubborn, I mean the same thing, except the fact that it's, it's more of a positive virtue in the sense that he is maybe, uh, and I'd say he's dogged in the sense that he goes after, you saw that with the Booker recruitment, right? A guy who's tenacious, who keeps the grind. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit ago, a couple episodes ago about Tom Izzo, you know, when he hangs it up, right? When he's, when he's going to be done. And I think we both agreed that he's going to be done when he feels he can't do what he had to do for the Booker recruitment. Like, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to like, I just can't do another plane, you know, another trip to see another guy's game down in South Carolina or something and then fly the next day somewhere. I think if he feels like he's in that situation, he's going to be done. And so I would say stubborn is probably another wrong word for it, but it is, it is a, it is, he's rigid in his expectations of himself and his program. And that's sure that is, that's, yeah, is different. Yeah. I agree with that completely, but that's not stub, stubborn is, um, it's a refusal to look at, it's a refusal to recognize what needs to be done to change things. And you, re, you refuse to change. Right. Yes. That, that, okay. I need to, I need to adjust to changing circumstances. So this is a good example though with Cohen Carr. They felt, and I think correctly, that when you look at the roster that's being assembled, there's a whole lot to like about it. But what they don't have is they don't have and haven't really for the last couple of years, really since, I mean, maybe Gabe Brown got kind of got in that area, but I would argue since Miles left, they haven't had that that kind of upper upper tier athlete that Izzo often has had at his disposal over the years and Michigan state makes very tends to make very, very good use of those guys. 
Um, even if somebody like Brandon Dawson, where their game has some flaws, like BJ, as good as he was, just could never develop a jumper, wasn't really a ball handler, but boy, could he defend. He was switchable one through five. He was a fantastic elite rebounder. Um, and obviously he was a weapon in transition and around the rim because of his toughness and his athleticism. They made great use of that, you know, and they haven't had that kind of guy for a while. And I think they want that. And that kind of player just was not available to them. Now I do think an interesting discussion could be had as to what would have happened if Devin Royal, who ended up as we expected picking Ohio state uh, last week, what would have happened if Devin Royal had decided to come to Michigan State? Would they have even gotten involved with Cohen Carr? And I suspect that the answer is probably not. Because even though they're very different players, positionally, they kind of feel the same. So I, if you want to say, well, this was a response to finishing second on Devin Royal, well, I'm not going to argue that point. But I do think what's interesting about it is this is a guy who gives you some elements that they haven't had as much of, at least not in a while. And that'll be really interesting to see how they use it. Um, just to, again, to go over the particulars here, Carr is six, seven, let's call him a combo forward, a three, four. And, and I'll get back to what's interesting about that in a second here. But um, I will go back and revisit something I said, I think on the last episode, when we first started talking about him, I, I compared him to BJ Dawson because my thinking was, all right, well, he's a college four man, you know, not really a perimeter guy per se, uh, but unbelievable leaper. Looks like he's got strength and tenacity, not as strong. I mean, BJ Dawson was tremendously jacked. He was strong. Uh, Carr's not quite in that realm yet, but he looks like he's got a nose for the ball. I would expect he'll be an effective rebounder. He clearly looks like a guy that could be completely switchable defensively. Obviously, they got to work on technique, understanding, et cetera, but uh, the physical tools are there to switch one through five. And as we keep saying, a world-class athlete. But I've looked a little more um, in the way of clips on him and I would say, and, and there have been some people I've had some dialogue with over the last week who pointed this out, and I have to say I think they had a point. There's much more potential with Carr in terms of perimeter game than somebody like Brandon Dawson had. I don't think he's a finished product by any stretch as a jump shooter or as a face-up guy, as a ball handler. But you can find clips – that will leave you should leave you with a sense of optimism about what may come. He's, he's a little better jump shooter than I thought he was at first blush. Now, why is that interesting? Well, at Michigan state, you probably can't be a wing if you can't shoot, you know, it kind of is part and parcel of it. And, and, and just in modern basketball, very, very difficult if you don't have at least four guys who are perimeter threats at all times, right? Very difficult for pick and roll to work the way you want. Very difficult to get the right kind of spacing, all of that. And if you've got a wing who can't really shoot effectively, 
or a point guard, you know, any of those perimeter positions, it means you damn well better have both a four and a five man who can shoot. Otherwise you've got trouble. You, you really could run into situations where your offense has the works gummed up. My understanding that I have this from a very, very, very good source who got it from an even better source, like about as good as you can find. Uh, take that to mean what you like. Um, Michigan State won. Michigan State is done now with recruiting for this class. This is it. I mean, that that could obviously change, I suppose, late if somebody unexpectedly leaves, sure, yeah. that kind of thing. But assume that they are done with four-man class. In the spring, if they are to get active in the portal, the anticipation is that it would be a mid-major four-man who would be good to play about a 15 to 18-minute role. So what should you glean from that? A few things, in my opinion. One it means that at least as a freshman, they are not immediately projecting Cohen Carr as a four-man. Now, I, I, I think, I still think, before it's all said and done, Cohen Carr is going to play a lot of four at Michigan State. That's my guess. But I can see it when you talk about next year, you talk about 23-24, when he'll be a freshman. One thing that it tells us is if you were holding out a lot of hope that Malik Hall was going to do a COVID year, doesn't seem like MSU yeah. thinks he will. Um, and, and Xavier Booker's recruitment should tell you that too, because they weren't going to bring in Xavier Booker to play 15 minutes as a freshman. And Malik Hall's not going to play 15 yeah, minutes. Right, yeah. So, um, Probably let's assume that Joey Hauser and Malik Hall are both going to be gone, right? So that, and we've talked about this before here, that opens up a, a, a hole at the need at the four. So Xavier Booker occupies that spot, one spot, one, one body in that spot. Um, but you figure most freshmen struggle at Michigan State, even if they're really, really good, to play more than, let's say, 25 minutes a night. That's usually about the cap, unless you're really exceptional or it's a weird situation like, you know, the 16-17 season where veterans got hurt and they had to play guys like Miles more than that. Uh, but that's a rarity. So they need somebody else to pair with Booker both from a conditioning perspective, you don't want him playing so much that he wears down, but also in terms of accountability. You want to have someone who knows what they're doing, who the if, if Xavier is screwing up, you use playing time to hold him accountable. That is a try. That's one of those things that gets back to that. Is it stubborn or is it just conviction? And I would argue it's conviction. <laughs> That Tom Izzo will use playing time to teach. It's what he does. It's what he's always done. And I think when you look at the way players have developed and teams have performed, it's pretty hard to argue with the success. But so you can see the math here. Okay, well, Carr's not going to be 
the format and, and maybe the reason for it, maybe they're thinking besides the fact that they think Colin Carr can handle playing the wing is they don't love the idea of trying to use a freshman to hold another freshman accountable. And that does make sense. If you think about it, you think about how Izzo likes to run his operation. That makes a lot of sense. Now, is it the easiest thing in the world to find a guy who's good enough to help you, but is okay with not playing, you know, 25 minutes a night? I don't know. And I don't think they know. I know that they don't yeah. know at this point, but that is the thought process on the staff's part, as I understand it, is that would be the goal for the spring. Find a guy who, and, and I, what was told to me is a mid-major guy. So they are thinking someone who is a, the parlance that I use is a transfer up situation. So somebody from a lower level conference who wants to step up to the Big Ten. Now, the interesting thing about that is usually those kind of guys are making that move not only because they want to be seen on a bigger platform, play better competition, prove themselves a little more for perhaps profession to enhance professional aspirations, but uh, they want to be able to have a chance at least to walk into a situation where they can play major, major minutes. You know, Tyson Walker is a good example. Two years ago, came to Michigan State because they really needed a point guard. And they had an opening. They had a, you know, as it turns out, he and AJ shared the spot and ended up playing together a lot. So his playing time was still good. But he came to Michigan State because he wanted to step up in competition, but he also saw there was a need. This is not going to be that kind of scenario. You've got a guy who's almost certainly going to be a McDonald's All-American, is according to some people in contention to be rated the number one high school player in the country coming at the power forward spot. So you realistically can't sell an opportunity to be playing 25 minutes a night as a starting foreman. So you got to find somebody who's comfortable with that. It says, okay, I want to be part of a team that has a chance to win everything, to contend for everything, which I think Michigan state could possibly be in that position a year from now where you could realistically look at everything as potentially on the table for that team. You know, if things break the right way. So I don't know how easy it's going to be to find that guy. You know, maybe you find a guy from another high major program who is okay playing a more limited role. And sometimes you do see that. Sometimes that happens. So that'll be challenging, but that is the current mindset. Of course, if they don't land that kind of player in the portal, and we saw this year, Izzo's not going to force it. He's not going to take a guy just to take a guy. That's pretty clear now. Um, maybe we do see Cohen Carr as the other foreman anyway. But for right now, that this was a little surprising to me, but I had to take it on board and think it through. And when I did so, it, I could start to see the rationale. I could start to see the thinking. Um, but that is, as I understand it, the intention. So right now, assuming no unexpected roster attrition, that would be the one remaining target for Michigan State to achieve before next season and it isn't going to come until the spring and it's not going to be a high school player.
So anyway, I thought that would be interesting. Absolutely. And I'm hear. envisioning all the uh, Venn diagrams, you know, to try <laughs> all the difference, all the, the, the things that need to put together to actually find that right. I mean, it may, to your point, it might be a really small pool of people who are targets, right? I mean, for we, sure. We are, we already Absolutely. said, we already said, Absolutely. I think earlier that, you know, 1500 people were in the, the portal, maybe 2000. I can't remember what it got up to at some point in the spring, but you know, of those 2000, you know, if you say, oh, we need a five man. Well, of the 2000, how many are actually play the five? Well, it's probably, you know, let's say 20% of that is now you're down to, you know, 200 or something. And then how many guys are actually going to be yeah. an upgrade from what you have? Well, that's probably, you know, 50 or 25 or something. And suddenly you get to, <laughs> your numbers get dwindled pretty quickly. And so, uh, you know, to your point, you just don't know, really know what's going to be there. You don't know what's going to be available. It could, I could realistically see it as you someone who don't. probably comes from a Big Ten school, someone you know you match up again, who's maybe the backup for who doesn't like a situation at or somewhere else, or he's he's graduates now he wants to go somewhere. Else. I mean, I could you could kind of envision all sorts of different scenarios that just works for someone or who someone wants to play for winter. Like you said, good, Michigan State's going to be really good next year. Yep. I think, barring something strange happening. Yeah, and and I think that's that you're absolutely right about that. It, when you get this specific, it's not even just hey, we need a guy at spot X. It's we need a guy at spot X who is willing to be a role player, knows that going in, um, and is still going to be willing to do that. That's a that's a smaller pool, but and and by the way, is also good enough to help <laughs> right. because it doesn't. It doesn't make it doesn't make any sense to bring in somebody who's just not a good fit, who's not good enough to help, is going to be a malcontent, you know, all of those things. So you, with every bit of that discussion, you start seeing that pool narrow and narrow and narrow. So, I mean, in, in one sense, it's good to have a very, very well-defined need because it helps focus your attention on, okay, these are the kind of guys that we really need to be looking at, but boy, your, your available candidates might not be legion, <laughs> so to speak. It might be very, very few in terms of, in terms of who's, uh, who's out there, but you could be right. And, and again, I, I, I mentioned a transfer up guy because that's how it was expressed to me. So I know that's how they're thinking, but, um, it might not work out that way. It could be another guy from a Big Ten program. I mean, we've seen that. We've seen guys the last couple of years transferring from why we had what uh, two or three at least last year in the Big Ten, and I might be undercutting it, who transferred from one Big Ten program to another. Uh, we could we could certainly see that. You know, you look at, and I, I hate football basketball comparisons, but you look at MSU since it was in the news. Uh, today in particular because uh, they were talking about tight ends michigan state added this kid barker from illinois to play tight end you know that's somebody staying within the big 10 but jumping schools so we we do see it and we've seen it on the basketball side uh but it's it's going to be interesting to see how they how they handle it and again part of the reason i'm bringing it up is i think it has definite um implications for the subject of this podcast of Cohen Carr and how they see him. And they, it turns out they see him maybe in a little bit broader context than I did when I, which is not surprising. They, you know, I, I say it 
a million times. Tom Izzo knows more than every one of us out here in cyberspace talking about his program together. You know, so I'll defer to their judgment. They think that he's got the ability to play on the wing. Okay, I think that's worth them taking a shot. I do think one other element of this that is is interesting and worth talking about, because we've spent some time talking about it, how Michigan State has just seemed hell-bent on adding guys who have the ability to, to play with the ball in their yeah. hands, right? So they've got three guys who really, by nature, are point guards on this year's team. And that's not even counting a kid like Jade Makins, who was, was seen that point guard. way yeah, coming out of high school. Right. And now he's the fourth guy. I mean, they'd only go to him really in that role, at least in an emergency. Uh, and they continue. You look at the guys they've got offers out to in 24 and 25. We've talked about this. A lot of guys with point guard skills. What they didn't have and, and, Frankly, what they're a little, again, no pun intended, what they're a little short on, on this year's roster, this coming season, is size on the wing. You have Pierre Brooks at 6'6", and then you go down to guys that are 6'3 and below. Um, now, some of those guys, A.J. Hogarth, Jake Nakins, I think have, and Trey Holloman even, I think can play bigger than their listed heights. But the fact is, they're not the conventional Michigan State 6'5", 6'6", wing to so much of an extent that we're pretty certain Malik Hall is going to play a lot and might even start on the wing in order to give them a little more of that size. But now you look at these last two additions, Gary Norman, 6'5", super athletic, strong, kind of a conventional Michigan State wing. We've, we've talked about lots of guys as comparison points. Matt McQuaid, Kyle Orange, you know, these kind of guys. Now we've got Cohen Carr, 6'7". You know, I, I still think B.J. Dawson's a good comparison point in a lot of ways, but B.J. was never really purely a wing. I, I guess you could say they started him at the three his freshman year because Draymond was the four, but Draymond was a very unusual four. And b from that point on, B.J. was a four-man. And maybe it'll go that way for Cohen Carr as well, where he'll make a switch as a sophomore to the four and never really goes back. But for now, you could project forward to 23-24, and all of a sudden Michigan State's got Pierre Brooks at 6'6 and strong, Garrett Norman at 6'5 and strong, and Cohen Carr at 6'7 and strong. All of a sudden, you're back to a much more conventional mix for Michigan State in that perimeter group. So I think... That's interesting. Both sides of the court, it's interesting. Certainly, it's interesting defensively. You've got much more natural ability. To, well, you've got the ability to be versatile and to mix and match depending upon an opponent, right? Um, and then offensively, I'll tell you this. When I think about Michigan State's transition game, if you have Jeremy Fears, just to stick with this freshman class, you have Jeremy Fears with the ball in the middle in transition and streaking down one wing, he's got Derek Norman and down the other, he's got Cohen Carr. That is vintage kind of platonic ideal Tom Izzo basketball, right? It's, it just fits the mold completely of what you think of when you think of 
the great Izzo teams. Um, and they're bringing in guys that fit that fit those roles that have been so well-defined over the years. Um, I guess another aspect we should maybe talk about, because I've seen people tossing it around and, and I'm sure you've got some thoughts too, but there have been a lot of comparisons to the 2016 class with this group. Now that we've got it, it's a four man group, just like that one was very highly regarded uh, at first blush. How do you, how do you see it? Do you think that's a fair comparison? I think it's fair in the sense that you have, it's going to be highly regarded, uh, you know, nationally ranking. And I think that's pretty similar. I, I think the difference with that, the two classes is what they're coming into. I think, I felt like the 16 class came into, um, not a bear cupboard, but they definitely were expected to play a larger size role, uh, on the floor than, than this class would. I think there's going to be enough experience around this, these players, assuming, you know, not a lot of departures or anything that were be unexpected, that it's going to be a lot easier for them to transition in and probably in some ways be more impactful than, than, you know, a bunch of freshmen on the floor. There aren't many fab fives you can, you know, toss down and, and, and play. And so I think from a, from a, how they look on the court, I think they'll look better in that because there won't be quite as much expected of them as it were of miles and, um, and Langford and Nick Ward, not that those guys were, you know, slouches, but I think it, I think there's a lot asked to them as freshmen to try and learn the system and all that. Yeah. You know, we also have to remember those guys, it was really unfortunate, particularly with Nick and miles that because of injuries, you know, Michigan state thought they were going to have Gavin right. Schilling and Ben Carter that year. And those guys were hurt. Plus on the perimeter a guy like Kyle Orange was banged up a lot during that season. They didn't really have the full complement of players they thought they were going to have. So yeah, all, those guys were thrust into bigger roles than I think anybody had anticipated. Um, so that, you know, that definitely hurt. I, I I know, you know, Jim Camperoni always likes to, and I think he's got a really good point. He likes to talk about um, the fact that guys who play a lot as freshmen at Michigan State without having to earn it because they've uh, they don't have any other options. And it's happened on a few occasions, not many, but a few occasions. You know, his theory is that those guys really struggle to ever recover from that. And the 16 class has one guy who I think maybe is a good, that's a good point for, and that's Nick Ward. The original idea was, well, Gavin Schoening and Ben Carter can both play the five, certainly Schilling could. And, you know, Nick will have to be held accountable to, to get any kind of minutes. He's going to have to be accountable. It didn't work out that way because of injuries. He played a ton of minutes, was actually very productive statistically. I don't know if he ever got better than I he agree. was as a freshman, yeah. though. I think the next two years, and, and the thing is, he never had to improve – as much as he needed to defensively. And then what happened is over the next two seasons, a guy named Xavier Tillman showed up who actually was really good in all the areas that Nick was deficient in, even though he wasn't as natural a post scorer, might not have even been a better rebounder. He was close, but might not have been better there, but he still chipped away and chipped away at his role and eventually, you know, became the guy where Nick was certainly he was in the rotation when he got healthy on that uh, 
2019 Final Four team, but it was Xavier Tillman's role at that point, right? And I think you can make an argument that he never quite overcame the fact that he wasn't held accountable in order to earn minutes. He didn't have to earn them. He just got them because they needed somebody with size to play. Um, Jim used to make that point about guys like uh, Alan Anderson in an earlier stage. When Alan Anderson was a freshman, that class with he and Kelvin Torbert and uh, Chris Hill, they walked into a situation where, again, injuries and early defections hurt Michigan State. They didn't have quite the roster they thought they were going to have when those guys were freshmen. So they had to play a ton. And it, it really took Alan Anderson until he was a senior to fully figure it out, to overcome the fact that he got minutes without having to earn them. So if you're right that these guys are set up to be in a very different situation, and I think at least as it looks right now, you probably are right, that may bode better for them in terms of their eventual careers at Michigan State. Because guys who have to scrap, I mean, look at Xavier Tillman as a classic example of that. Cassius Winston was an example of that. Cassius Winston split, he split his role as a freshman, you know? And and then you look at how that, that career ended up. You know, I think guys who have to go through that, maybe if they're going to be, you know, three or four year players at least, in the long run have a better uh, have a better, smoother path to improvement than guys who just kind of get handed it. Now, I think Xavier Booker is going to be an exception because of his talent, because of Michigan State's need. I think he's going to play a lot. But again, if they can get a veteran in there who they can use to hold him accountable, that's going to help him too. For as long as he's in East Lansing, that should make him a better player. Um, my my view is, I, I think it depends, whether you say this class is better, not as good, whatever, as the 16 class or other classes that Izzo's had, it also kind of depends upon what your standards are. So to me, the most important thing by far is from Michigan State perspective is winning. And then after that would be individual accomplishments. So you look at that 16 class, those guys, members of that class, were part of three Big Ten champions, uh, one Final Four. They had a Big Ten Player of the Year, Cassius Winston, his junior year. They had a lottery pick in Miles Bridges, all coming from that class. Hard to argue that that class didn't meet expectations. I think when you look at it through that prism, now obviously not all four of those guys were there for all four years, but when you look at it as a whole, that's a lot of winning. Um, and, and, and by the way, we even get shorted one more NCAA tournament right. because of COVID. They might've, there might've been more team accomplishments to come. We'll never know. So I, I think that's a pretty impressive group when you look at it from that perspective. Um, they had two McDonald's, all of them. This is why I think the hype with this current group might be just slightly too much by comparison to 16. 16 had two McDonald's All-Americans, Miles Bridges, Josh Langford. This team, this group, class, I'm going to guess is going to have one in Xavier Booker. I wouldn't rule out Jeremy Fears completely, but I would say it doesn't look likely right now. Normally, you have to be a top 25 guy, and I don't know that he's going to be there. Um, 
But that 16 class, besides the two McDonald's All-Americans, Cassius Winston was just barely outside that McDonald's All-American level. He was like 31 or 32. And then Nick Ward, oh, ho, hum, was a top back end of the top 50. <laughs> this class, you know, right now, all four of them are, I believe, within the consensus top 75. And certainly Norman and Carr and even Fears to an extent look like they could rise from where they are currently. But I'm not sure I expect the totality of it to get quite to where that 16 class was. You know, and if you go back further in time, you know, for a two-man class, it's pretty tough to beat Marcus Taylor and Zach Randolph. People forget those guys were, depending upon who you talk to, both top five. Pretty tough to beat that. Um, The class with Paul Davis and Mo Ager – and uh, Arazim Lorbeck was pretty damn good. And then and then you can look at classes that maybe didn't have quite the ranking numbers, but you look at the winning and the individual accomplishments, and they obviously have to be in that discussion. I, that 07 class with um, Kalen Lucas, Darrell Summers, and Chris Allen, who didn't last the full four years. But, I mean, Jesus, those guys won two Big Ten championships. They reached the national title game, two Final Fours. That's a lot of winning. The the Charlie Bell, Andre Hudson, Doug Davis class, Doug Davis left after two years, but Charlie Bell and Andre Hudson, I will remind people, never failed to win a Big Ten title during their time at Michigan State. Reached three, count them, three Final Fours, won a national championship. That's kind of tough to match. You know, so um, that I'm just trying to put this into perspective. I don't want to rain on anybody's parade. This is a, a tremendous class by all accounts that Tom Izzo has put together. But when you start suffering from a little bit of recency bias, sometimes I think it's helpful to put it into perspective. Hey, let's hope these guys can match what some of those groups did, because if they do, we're all going to be happy. I think what'll be really helpful for that class too is if we have a pretty successful season, which I think we have a potential to to have this year. It'll relieve a lot of the pressure because I think that's I think that's a lot of what is being put on these guys, these kids right now is everyone's looking forward to that twenty three twenty four season because they think we've been struggling, and again, you know, our definition of struggling is uh, most teams would take in you know a, a second obviously because yeah. just you going through all this class, I'm like, man, there's right. been a lot of winning going on at Michigan. Michigan State. It's easy to forget yep. how how successful this program has been in the last twenty plus years. But you know, you—that's the thing. I think you and I are. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. That we're we're on pretty much the same page. Where the further we go into this off season, and the more you look at what Michigan State's got, the more things I you know we hear and, and all of that. I think the better you feel about what this coming season may shape up to be, right? There's a lot of reason, in my view, to be optimistic about it. Um, and then you look at the pieces that could come back from that team for 23-24, and you understand why there's excitement. But again, maybe the best part of it is you won't necessarily be asking all of these guys to step in and be saviors. Right. Exactly. I mean, I, you know, I don't think any of them would be expected to be that, you know, if if, if A.J. Hogard returns, you know, Jeremy Fears probably isn't even going to be a starter. And this is a kid that I think is probably 
their best point guard recruit since Cassius Winston, which doesn't go back that far. But I mean, he's he's a guy that I would, as an overall player, I would put it, you know, as having the potential to be that caliber, you know. And you might not have to start him, you know. Norman and, and Carr probably don't have to start those guys if if Jaden Akins is back, if Pierre Brooks develops the way we think he will, um, you know. Really, the, the only guy that I think has an obvious path to starting is um, is Booker, you know. Um, but even there, you know, he's you hope he's going to have a lot of help inside. It's not like MSU is going to need him to be, you know, a tower of strength all all the time in the post because you'll have Jackson Kohler, you'll hopefully have Mati Sissoko, you'll have Carson Cooper. You know, they'll have guys with some experience who can man the five and Xavier Booker doesn't ever have to worry about, you know, having to play true five men. So, yeah, it's it, but it's really exciting. I mean, again, I don't mean to rain on any parades by comparing them to these other groups who did so much, but um, it is important to realize, as you said, all the winning that's been done. Is it fair right now, Would you do you think, to say that Izzo's okay as far as recruiting. I mean, there there was a lot of talk. I mean, I know the answer to this, right? This is rhetorical, really. Because there's been so much talk of he's struggling or whatever. And he, I just, I just don't, I just don't see it. I don't see how people think he needs help. I don't th- see why he needs assistant coaches. I, I just don't, I just don't understand, except that people thought for sure he had to do something in the spring, which is bring in, you know, bring in someone on the transfer portal. And he didn't do that. Because I think, you know, you look at this class, this is developing, you're like, for him to bring someone, it it probably affects all these recruitments, right? I, I got to imagine Carr and Normand are somewhat affected by the fact that Fears and Booker are in the class, right? It has to, right, come into their equation. And I mean, everyone's got to look at the roster and say, okay, well, who's there? Who am I going to be competing to for uh, against for minutes? There are only 200 minutes in the game, you know, and I've got to, you know, I want to try and get mine. So I, I just have, I have a hard time understanding how anyone at this point is like, yeah, I don't know. Is it maybe he needs to call, you know, Mel Tucker up and see if he's got any ideas for what he needs to do. And I'll, I mean, I, I know. Well, I, and, and, and I don't mean to disparage anyone. I think I understand why people sometimes get a little concerned about things and they, if they, things don't go the way, the I'll, I'll go the way they wanted, right. Okay. <laughs> I'll take care of that. Go right ahead. Yeah. I, look, it's, what's the, what's the line, uh, you know, the kids say Izzo's washed. Um, it was always stupid. (laughs) It was always stupid and ill-educated and dumb. And how many other pejoratives can I throw at it? And, and I like to think I've got credibility on this because as it was going on in the spring, I said all of these things. Yeah. Right. said, Hey, Tom Izzo still recruit. Tom Izzo knows his roster better than anybody out here pontificating about what he needs to do and that it would be coaching malpractice not to bring somebody in. On and on and on. All these dipshits. Um, here's the response. We, You've seen it. <laughs> the last two weeks, you've seen it. Or you should have seen it. I hope you realize. And I would just hope and this is this is um, 
pointless on my part because I know it won't be it won't be handled the way it should be. But you would hope that the last two weeks would have taught some people some things about checking themselves and what they think they know and where they think the program's at. But it won't. If there's a lull or they lose two games in a row, we'll be right back here with the same old, you know, as I said, playing the hits, all the stupid yeah. shit that gets said over and over and over. Look, you kind of touched on it earlier in the episode. When Tom Izzo is washed, um, <laughs> you'll know it because the word, the next words out of his mouth will be, I'm retiring. That's yeah. how it will go. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Um, I think what he's done this summer, and you look at the way it positions the roster and his program going forward. And again, we're all of a sudden, we are talking about a team that we can very realistically, again, depending, there's a lot of what ifs, there's a lot of developing that has to go on. You know, somebody like a Jackson Kohler has to develop defensively and has to be the guy that we think he can be as a five man. You know, you need to see players like Jaden Akins and AJ Hogard taking and Pierre Brooks taking those next steps, you know, going from guys with potential and some production to guys with consistent production and maybe in some cases star potential. You know, all those things have to happen, but we, we can be optimistic that at least a lot of them will. Because track record tells us that's what happens at Michigan State. And we've seen signs of it with all of those guys individually, I think, to give you reason to think it'll happen. Now you add in these pieces, and all of a sudden it's very easy. Even, even some of the dipshits I alluded to should be able to see, wow, looks like Izzo's kind of got his thing on track. That's a huge surprise. Who could have seen that happen? <laughs> You know, as, as I said, you'll know he's done when he tells you because he's not going to continue, I don't believe, in this job when he finds that he lacks the fire in the belly to do the job the way he knows it needs to be done for his thing to work, you know. Um, that's when you'll know. And very clearly by what we've seen this summer, he isn't done. Not yet. I think the thing that drew me to the show initially a few years ago is it's not a bunch of slappies. This is not a, uh, everything is what does is great. Everything about Michigan State is fantastic. There's no, there are no flaws in this program. It's the best ever. Uh, you're going to get a take that is honest and, but we're obviously Spartan fans and huge supporters, but we're not going to tell you something that's not, we don't think is true. And we're not going to, we're not going to, you know, blow the horn when we think there's a problem. And like last year, for instance, I always mentioned defensive rebounding because that was a big issue last year. Yeah. That was always talked about, right? That is a problem. We need to yep. fix that. And so you're going to get honest appraisal of what's going on. And that's, I think, that's, I think what you want. You want fans to tell you what they think, but, but also to sort of rein things in. We're like, okay, let's just try and realistically look at where, where we've been in the past. Let's not, you know, panic because it, it's not a time for panic yet. And, you've, and I think if he's, you, he's proven that there's no reason to panic for sure. There is a, I agree with all of that. There, there is a, um, or was, I should say a study. 
that was done not all that long ago, several years ago. And I remember reading about it. It was either in the Atlantic or the New Yorker, one of one of those one of those um, those magazines that uh, talked about a, a psychological phenomenon that people and we're, we're talking in a very broad scheme here, very, very broad scope, but that people tend to view negative takes as being more intelligent than positive ones. They feel smarter if they're uttering one. They tend to take more negative takes from others seriously as opposed to positive ones. And this was true regardless of the actual outcome of whatever was being pontificated upon. So I always try to, I always do keep that in mind that there is a natural inclination in many, many people to see the negative side of things. And um, because they, it makes them feel smarter even when it's not smarter, when often it's dumber. And, and I, th and I think that's true. I think that's true about something that is as in the greater scheme of things as inconsequential as a college basketball program. And you see it, you see it all the time. So, and on top of that, it's also easier than ever with the amount of information that we all have at our disposal to feel as if, you know enough to render an, an accurate and valid assessment as to what someone else in a position is doing. And that's what you saw this spring. You saw a lot of it with the, you know, coaching malpractice to not bring in a five man in the portal. Well, what if, and I'm just spitballing here, but what if <laughs> the coaching staff which is headed by a guy who's in the Basketball Hall of Fame. You know, you have to win some games to get there, right? Um, what if he thinks that the guys he's got are good enough to go with? What if he believes that? I mean, you don't see it. You don't think it's possible. But what if he thinks that? And, and then do we, do we take his track record and what he's done into account when we try to weigh – the quality of the relative assessments. And the answer for far too many people who profess to be Michigan State fans on social media was, hell no, we don't take that into account. <laughs> Izzo's wash. I, I, it was remarkable to me to witness it. I just, it, it, it confirmed for me so many things that I've loved, and I don't want to make this an endless rant, but it confirmed for me so many things that I've I believed to be true and that I felt were confirmed by this, which the big one is that as a fan base, Michigan State basketball fans are unbelievably spoiled and have and completely lack perspective. I mean utterly lack it. Um, you have a couple of down seasons, quote unquote, which at most other Big Ten schools would be pretty good they're not pretty good here no one's arguing with that but 
They're also probably not an indicator that the sky is falling, but boy, did they sure get treated that way. And then, you know, you have a coach make some decisions as to what he thinks his team should look like. And because it doesn't fit a narrative that, that others have created in their heads as to what needs to happen. Well, this is a sign that Izzo's clearly lost. It. Apparently not. At least, at least not in terms of his ability to attract talent that other people want and other people assess as being high quality. You know, um, I don't know. We're going to see, right? We, we get to play a season coming up here sooner than sooner than I think a lot of people realize. It's coming fast. And it is, fortunately. And I, I think that Michigan State is in position to be very, very good. Now, they have an unbelievably challenging schedule, which we'll get into in weeks ahead. And people, I'm going to say it, I know it's going to fall on deaf ears, but if they lose a few in November and December, because uh, the schedule they're playing, they probably will. Please, I beg you, understand the big picture. Understand that a loss in November, does even two or three of them, does not mean the sky is falling. But I know that a fall on deaf ears, it won't matter. So I have to say it again and again and again. But um, track record matters with this stuff. It really does. And it is not, you know, you were talking about not being slappies and all of that. In my mind, it is clearly not a sign of being a slappy, but rather one of somebody accurately assessing track record and what the past can teach us about what's likely to happen in the future if you say, you know what, I bet Tom Izzo figures it out and has competitive teams. That's, to me, that's just wow. how you would get to any other position is insane to me. It really is. I mean, I don't think that's too strong of a word. That doesn't mean it's a guarantee that it continues. But, man, if you're making that bet that, that this is it, it's over, the run is done, you are you are really getting out on a limb, in my mind. I feel like I'm making the fairly obvious call, which is yeah, this guy's probably going to figure it out because 25 years says he pretty much always does. And I think like you mentioned, if maybe it was the last episode of the one before, certainly when you look at these recruitments the last two weeks with Norman and now Carr, we have a program that we don't recognize because we're so close. We're at the, we're in the nucleus yeah. we're right at the epicenter, right? We don't recognize how our coach is perceived by people elsewhere in the country. We don't, we don't really recognize how our program is perceived outside of like our friends who are Michigan fans, you know, who are obviously disparaging things. And, you know, that's just what, you know, rivals do. <laughs> you, you could, you but, could never get a more balanced and accurate take on the career of Tom Ezzo than what you get from Michigan. I I'm told <laughs> this is what I deal with in the OR every day, Rod. It's every day. Uh, but I think, you know, you saw two players who are not slouches. These are top 50, 60 players in the country, right? And within three weeks, they say, oh, yep, I'm not going gonna, gonna to toss aside the other D1 programs have been working on recruiting for a year or so, and I'm just going to go to Michigan State right. with one visit. I mean, it, that I think is evidence enough that this guy still got it and that this program is in firm footing still and that there's no reason to panic. And so I don't know if it... 
there should be no other evidence you need at this point outside of, you know, they lose every game next year, then that, you know, that's a different thing. Yeah. I mean, look, th- th- this doesn't mean that all of a sudden, oh, Tom Izzo is going to go out and win every recruitment he's a part of. He lost some this year that I-, I mentioned earlier in the episode. You know, if they if they don't miss on Devin Royal, do they even get in the mix with with Colin Carr? Probably not. Um, there were other guys in this class. Another guy committed to Ohio State, the Middleton kid. Uh, committed today, or I'm sorry, committed uh, yesterday. Um, he was a guy they tried to get involved with, and they just really didn't get any traction in the end in that recruitment. Uh, you know, so the, these things happen, and they're going to continue to happen. They're not going to land everybody they offer. They're not going to land everybody they want. By and large, Michigan State's going to get guys that are good enough to do the things Tom Izzo wants to do with his program. And you can safely bank on that. Uh, you know, what we've seen the last couple of years, because I, in these two guys you just mentioned, and then I go back the year prior, the Jackson Kohler recruitment was another one, very similar dynamic. They lose out on a kid. In that case, it was Terrace Reed who committed to Michigan. And in a relative blink of an eye, they were interested in Kohler. They had him in for a visit. They offered him. He committed. And you look at how the perception of him as a player evolved from that point, you know, where it, it only enhanced in terms of how I think the basketball world at large has viewed him since committing to Michigan State. Uh, you know, it's it's pretty remarkable. And, and the other thing that all three of those guys share, which is, uh, you know, another thing that's interesting, I don't know if I have a firm stance on it but it's worth noting is all three of those guys are out of region players which tells you a couple things one thing for sure it tells you is how tom Izzo was viewed nationally that he if you ever doubt that he has national scope as a college basketball figure and a presence these three recruitments last two years should put that to rest the other thing is, and I, I, I don't know um, where I stand on this or not, but, you know, sometimes it used to be said when Michigan was producing more, better and deeper amounts of high school talent that sometimes Michigan State was too familiar mm-hmm. with so much time around the program, so much interaction with it that it, when it came time to actually get fully into the recruitment, make a decision, you know, there might be a shinier bauble out there that didn't have the familiarity that these kids had with Michigan state. Maybe, maybe there's some of that at work with upper Midwest kids. I, again, I'm not convinced of that theory. I don't think that's actually the case. I think for the most part, it's down to in recent recruiting classes, there just haven't been as many, really, really good players in this part of the country. So you can't focus the way Izzo historically has in Michigan and Ohio and Indiana and Illinois and some in Wisconsin and Minnesota um, to comprise a class that you got to go a little further afield because there just isn't that depth of talent um, in this region lately. Um, but I don't know. It's, it's worth considering, though, and I do find that aspect of it uh, worth noting that these are guys who – did not grow up with Michigan State on their television all the time. You know, um, I'm betting that 
Michigan State was not a twice a week uh, appointment viewing in the homes of uh, Cohen Carr or Garrett Norman <laughs> or Jackson Kohler. But their appointment viewing in March every year because, you know, they're in the NCAA tournament. And they're usually around for a while. So I think those things start to matter. And then again, what does it say about the perception of Tom Izzo as a, as a basketball figure? I, I think it says a lot when you can go in and that quickly just leapfrog schools that have been in on recruitment. I mean, I know I said this in earlier episodes, but uh, Iowa with Jackson Kohler just has to be killing themselves. I think Garrett Norman, um, Wisconsin, Greg Gard has to be just pulling his hair out. You know, um, one other interesting thing I want to mention about uh, Cohen Carr's recruitment. And I think I went into this the last episode that you know, he took an official to Tennessee right before the official to Michigan State. But before that, he had he had a visit to Clemson back last Halloween, which was an official. And then in March, he took one to Indiana. I saw it discussed. I don't have this 100% accuracy, but it sounded credible to me that um, Indiana had a shot to close that recruitment out. But after he took his official, instead of pressing, they started to waffle as to how badly they wanted Cohen Carr. And so obviously he played the spring and the summer and impressed a lot of people, got these other high major offers in the mix and ends up, the door is open, Michigan State comes in and takes him. Now I go back to Xavier Booker and the word from people around Xavier Booker was that some other schools and with a hundred percent certitude, I can say Indiana is one of those. Cause I've been told this, those people said the thing, the reason Michigan state got him in the end is that they never wavered from the point that they were interested in him. They recruited him the same way with the same intensity the whole time. Indiana was up and down back and forth with a local kid an Indianapolis kid. And that killed them in the end. Absolutely killed them. That's why in the end, they weren't really even firmly in the mix for him. So these are two guys that Mike Woodson, you could argue if you were an Indiana fan, maybe flat out blew the Cohen Carr recruitment and at the very least did himself immeasurable damage in the Xavier Booker recruitment because they couldn't make up their goddamn minds. I find that interesting given that it is a big 10 competitor and a school that I can guarantee you Michigan state will continue to see on the recruiting trail because the programs end up being on some of the same kids. It's inevitable. Uh, but I, I found that dynamic very, very interesting. And, you know, I, I've since they made that hire, I've had questions and last year, last year's performance for Indiana did not really resolve any of those questions in my mind. And now recruiting is not resolving them. I do think, and we're going to get into season previews soon enough. There are a lot of people that are going to be picking Indiana to win the big 10 this year. And on paper, I kind of get it. Um, 
but the games aren't played on paper. And I think this is a big year for Mike Woodson's future. Not, not that I think he'll be fired, but just in terms of what it sets him up as. And as I say, this recruiting stuff in this class with those two kids just fascinates me. When you, when you look at clips of Cohen Carr and you got him on an official visit to your school, what question is there? I mean, he's not your only recruit. So you say, okay, he's one of three, one of four, one of five. How do you, how do you look at that and say, well, I don't know, guys. Maybe we shouldn't go. The rim's still blast. 10 feet tall, right? Yeah, well, he doesn't make it look 10 <laughs> feet tall. Um, I guess that's the point. But yeah, and Xavier Booker, same thing. I mean, I know he had some inconsistencies, but man, 6'11", 745 wingspan, can shoot the three, can handle. He's from your your state. Really? You're you're up and you're in and out on that one. I just it makes you wonder about the ability to assess talent. It makes you wonder about judgment, all these things. But anyway, that was just a brief aside. Dare you say coaching malpractice? No, oh, maybe. <laughs> maybe it'll get there. There's a guy or two out there I might think... be willing to prosecute that case. <laughs> Certainly, uh, yeah, perception is important, uh, and we'll see how his Woodson is perceived before the season and then after the season, and that will take a season to find out. Yeah. Well, let's wrap it up there. Uh, this will be, as far as I know, and I assume our last recruiting update well, with the 20, for the 2023 class. class. 2023, yeah. yes. <laughs> be, be, be specific you know, 24, uh, I, I should mention, they just had a kid. Um, I don't know if he has an offer yet named EJ Walker, who's a six, eight guard from Kentucky, Northern Kentucky, really the, the Cincinnati area was in on a visit last week to East Lansing and apparently really enjoyed himself. That's another name to keep an eye on, um, for Michigan state. But yeah, we probably at this point, we'll probably start talking maybe a little bit more about guys in that class because, uh, we're on the cusp of football season. And so some of these kids in the 24 and 25, maybe even 26 class are going to start showing up at MSU football games. So we'll have more recruiting. It's a year round thing. It never stops, but you, you really as a Michigan state fan. You just have to breathe a sigh of relief. Like this class appears to be banked and it looks like a really good one. And, and not just from the perspective of the talent and the rankings and all of that, but the fits, the fits they with fit, what yes. they need, and it appears the fits as personalities. These all seem like guys. You know, they, Michigan State has that OKG, our kind of guy uh, phrase that they use to describe kids with the right kind of mentality. And boy, it sure looks like this class fits that mold. Well, we'll, we'll leave it there. And again, I want to encourage everyone to go to tffinots.com. Please join our Spartan community. Uh, participate in the forums you can sign up it's free and moderated and so it should be a fun place to interact with us and interact with each other and just with other spartan fans to talk about we should say basketball and as you mentioned i'm sure football will kind of find its way in there too if the team starts playing well again like last year uh, you can also hit us up on email email with the tffinots at gmail.com you can certainly go to follow us on twitter at tffinots68 you can also go to instagram where tffinots there and on YouTube, 
and I don't remember the link to that. It's really long, but you can go to the website and you can <laughs> link to it from there. So go to your favorite podcast player, leave us a five-star written review, recommend the show and continue to do that with your friends and family. We really appreciate it. And we enjoy bringing this great content to you every week. So until next time, the final four is now on the schedule. Go green. At Granger, we're for the ones who pay attention to every little detail. The ones who fuss, tinker, and sweat the small stuff. Because you know the tiniest thing can make the biggest difference when it comes to keeping business moving. We get it. We're the same way. Offering access to product experts to help you quickly and easily find what you need. So whatever your industry, you know you're always getting professional-grade products. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.